He is risen. He is risen. <laughs> Alyssa said, what are you going to speak on? And I said, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Now walk in a manner worthy of it. And I said, or maybe not. I don't want to offend people. Romans 6. Romans 6, starting at verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So we too might walk in newness of life. You see, it's, it's awesome to come and celebrate what has happened on the cross. And this is a wonderful day. And I love Easter. I, I, love, I love the whole Easter season. I grew up, uh, my, my main uh, Christian upbringing before I entered this stream was my mom took us to her family church, with a, which was a Lutheran church. So I did Ash Wednesday. I did Lent. I did Palm Sunday, Good Friday. Easter. And I love that whole thing. I love the tradition. I love the, the, the ritual of it. And so I love Easter. I, I love beginning of Lent, giving something up and trying for, <laughs> for 40 days to keep it given away and not pick it back up again. I, I loved Ash Wednesday. I was one of those kids that would go to school with ash on his forehead. Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry of our king, even though he wouldn't be crowned until several days later. Good Friday, we had our first Good Friday service, which I hear went well, which is awesome. But I love that the ritual of, of entering in the morning, the morning of the disciples, that their Savior, that their Deliverer has died, but then also entering in the morning that I am well aware that my sins put those marks on his body. But then I love waking up on Easter. I love waking up and seeing the empty tomb and going, he is risen and, and he is risen indeed and it's joyful and it's wonderful and we're triumphant and we're celebrating the proof. We're celebrating the victory that everything he said, it's there, it's, it's real because there's no body in the tomb. I love celebrating all of that, but there's the next day. There's the next day. And I don't want to just celebrate something and move on. And neither does Paul. In Romans, he says, Therefore we have been buried with him in the baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. There is a newness of life. Easter isn't just, hey, he said who he said it was. It's, hey, it's all real. And so that when I accept him in my life, not only are my sins forgiven, but he's the propitiation. He is the restitution. And I am made complete and whole. And I now walk in a newness of life. I'm not just forgiven, but I'm restored. I'm saved. I'm delivered. And there's a newness of life I get to walk into. 
Verse 5, for if we have become united in him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is free from sin. It doesn't have a hold on me anymore. It's quite simple. Before Christ, I was a slave to sin. Sin was my master, and I could not choose to be anything else. But when Christ rose from the dead, it said he took captivity captive. I'm no longer captive to sin. But he's not just my Savior, he's my Lord. So what happens? I now become captive to Christ. The most frequent way Paul described himself was a slave. Your translations might say bondservant. The word is slave. And it is exactly what it sounds like. Not only that, he goes deeper And he also describes himself as not only is he the slave, he's the slave that is chained to the boat. The implication being if the boat goes down, Paul goes down. That's how much he identified with Christ. That's how much he said, this is everything. He is everything. And I will do everything he asks me. This is the Paul saying, walk in the newness of life. That's the invitation of Christ's resurrection, that we enter in with his death, but we join in with his life also. In this newness of life, what does that mean? What does that look like? Let's jump to Ephesians 4. Starting at verse 1, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, that's Paul, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Walk in the manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. That's an active word, walk. That's an active word. He didn't say be in the manner. He didn't say sit in the manner. He didn't say rest. He said walk in the manner worthy of the calling with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, being diligent. That's another action word. It literally means to put attention to and actively do something. Actively do what? Maintain unity in the bonds of peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Paul was a Jew. He was a Jew among Jews. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. And God did something funny. He said, you're a Jew among Jews. You're a Pharisee of Pharisees. You're the greatest of them all. Go to the Gentiles who don't care about any of that. He said, go to the Gentiles. You'll be my apostle to the Gentiles. And he did that. He went and he preached the gospel and he started churches and he sought salvations and miracles. And and then he wrote letters. Every letter but one was written to a community that he founded. 
to leaders that he grew. And one of his overarching concerns, it crops up constantly in his letters, was unity. It was unity. He's tying it directly. To walk in the newness of life, to walk in a manner worthy of the call involves walking and being diligent and maintaining unity. The early church's biggest issue was disunity. You had the Jews and you had the Gentiles. They didn't like each other. They didn't act the same way. They didn't operate the same way. They had different cultures. They had different beliefs. That's why Paul has to remind them. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. But to each, us, each one of us, Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives. He led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. The next verses talk about what we would call the apostolic gifts or the gifts of Christ. Some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And he says that he gives these gifts to the church for one purpose and one purpose only. The building up of the body. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity, unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer children. I'm going to pause right there. Before he gives the list, whether you believe these gifts are active or not, as actual offices, I'm going to tell you something. Unfortunately, if you don't believe they're active or not, you need to read your Bible. Because I'll say it right now. He says, to each one of us, a grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. And then he lists those. He lists Christ's gifts. I'm not saying, hey, there's apostles, whatever. I'm saying that there is a grace. There is an ability given to each of us. A measure. We talked about that. A measure given to each of us to access some aspect of those five Whatever it is the Lord has given you. I'm not even saying it, it could be a mix. That's between God and you. But why does he give you that grace? To equip the body and to build up the body in maturity unto Christ. Maturity so that we hold unity. Therefore, so that as a result... We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Paul's saying, step into this new life. What does that new life look like? It looks like maintaining unity in the bonds of peace, being diligent, meaning constantly focusing and doing something well so that we aren't children, so that we attain maturity, so we build up. The building up of the body is for good works and for attaining maturity unto Christ. That's why the unity of the body is so important. That's why literally the symbol of new life is peace and unity with your brothers and sisters. 
And he lists it, he says, so that we aren't deceived by every wind of doctrine. I love doctrine. I love winds of doctrine. I really do. I really do. I love hearing what people come up with. I, guys, you, you, every time you hear me speak on a Sunday, I'm blowing some wind at you. I am. It's your job to be reading your Bible and be grounded in the truth. And if I say something a little off, you go, that was a little off. Miko's having a silly day. Right? But I love it because I love hearing people's different opinions and interpretations. And people think the gifts died and people think the gifts didn't. People think hell is temporary. People think hell is permanent. I love those kind of debates. I love looking at reasonings. But I, I can't get so caught up in them so sucked up in them that I take a stance and I go, anyone that doesn't believe what I believe about this is wrong. And not only wrong, because if I go too far there, I start going, they aren't really Christians. And suddenly I can't, I can't be around you. I don't validate your belief. I don't validate your relationship with God. I don't even believe you're a Christian anymore. And if we were in a fellowship, either I kick you out or you kick me out. That's the history of the church. What's worse, it's like, fine, well, I'm going to go across the street, and I'm going to start a new church across the street from you. <laughs> I'm about to pick on the Baptist. I'm sorry. Um, it was just the first thing that popped in my head was First Baptist. You're First Baptist. We're Greater Baptist. <laughs> I have nothing against Baptists. That just popped in my head. The body suffers when we do this. You know how many people I know, and I'm not trying to, I'm not going to look at anybody. You know how many people I know that when I mention Catholics, they get a look on their face? Well, I don't know about them Catholics. I don't know. It's like, okay. You know, the majority of Christians in the history of Christianity have been Catholic. <laughs> Just saying. The largest denomination in the world is Catholic. Just saying. Just saying. Yeah, sure, they got some mixed up beliefs, but so do Baptists. <laughs> but I'm supposed to maintain bonds of unity with all my brothers and sisters in Christ. I am, by the way. It's not their job. It's my job. If we could just hold on to that and say, you know whose responsibility it is to be diligent and maintain bonds of peace? Mine. Because a lot of times we say, well, it's your job. Get right, and we'll be all right. That doesn't work that way. By the trickery of men. By the trickery of men. I believe it's Galatians. Galatians is all about warning the church in Galatia about men coming, teaching a gospel different, teaching different rituals, teaching different things you have to do, adding to the gospel of Christ. And Paul says, cast those men out. How many times do we let the trickery of men, we let our desires get in the way of the unity of Christ? So there's just an invitation this, this Easter, he is risen, he is risen indeed, but now it's time to walk. 
verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. This has been said. I didn't coin this. The truth without love is abuse. Love without truth is Wow, it blanked. Enabling. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. We need both. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Alyssa talked about this when she spoke, how sometimes she learned in the last couple of years that sometimes it's better not to have that conversation. That I can love you better if I don't have that conversation. I can love you better if I maybe mute your uh, social media, right? I can love you better if I uh, just decide that some topics we won't talk about and it's okay. That's love. That's being diligent to maintain the bonds of peace. You see, I think the church has, has lost that a little bit because we get so full of our rightness, our self-righteousness, that we go, no, 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 but I have to talk to you about this because you have to understand that you're wrong and I'm right. And whew. Verse 17, so I say this and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Thank you. Thank you so much that you came and I'm different than I was before. I'm different. Paul talks about we have the mind of Christ. In Romans, he says we're transformed by the renewing of our Mind. Literally, mind here literally is thoughts. It's thinking. It's thinking. And the implication here is with, with Jesus, with the grace and empowerment of our brothers and sisters, we can change the way we think. That we no longer are trapped in the futility of our thoughts. The futility, the, the Bible literally says the darkened, the darkness. 18, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. That word sensuality, it literally means, uh, the Greek word is actually lavishness. Le, uh, which is literally shamelessness because they're so calloused, which by the way, I say they, we can just, when you hear me say they, I'm talking about you before Christ. Do you understand? The only thing that separates me from them is the cross. <laughs> That's the only thing. That they're slaves and they don't have a choice and I do, which makes it worse because when I Step into that darkness, I do it willingly as a choice. So they aren't 
worse than me. I'm not better than them. If anything, I'm worse than them because they're trapped and I choose to step back into captivity. Just wanted to get that out. That just came up. <laughs> Verse 20, but you, you did not learn Christ this, in this way. You see, that newness of life is stepping into a new way of thinking. That's why we walk in it, because we're learning. I just had a good conversation with Jeff yesterday, and we were talking about demonic influence versus thought patterns and habits. And, and I kind of said, you know, demonic influence is real. I'm not saying it's not. But man, so many Christians like to use that as an excuse for their bad habits and their bad choices. And the answer isn't, pray for me to be delivered. I can't deliver you from you. <laughs> Trust me, if I could. <laughs> what we can do is we can ask for the newness of life to be awakened in us. And as we walk forward into the truth, we're renewed in our thinking and thus we're transformed and we're transformed into Christ. talked about this weeks ago when I said glory to go, going from glory to glory literally means going deeper and deeper into becoming more and more like Christ. But what happens when we step in, back into the captivity and we step out of our new life, we, the Bible literally says, do not be like the Gentiles in the fertility of their thinking because they become callous. And because they become callous, it talks about sensuality. Sensuality literally is of the senses. They pursue experience because of the callousness. You ever been numb and you just keep on touching it and hitting things like, oh, still can't feel that. Still can't feel that. Ever done that? Last time I got my... I, I had a root canal, and literally it spread throughout my face to the point where my eyelid, it was so bizarre, and I could not stop. That's the futility of the Gentiles or of the old way of thinking. This is the futility of the sin nature. I'm numb. I desire to feel something. We're made in the image of Christ. We understand there's more, but we can't get there, Right? And we're constantly, do I feel that? Do I feel that? Get, get a hammer. <laughs> to the point where we get shameless because we just want to feel something. And we can get back into that. We who have experienced the newness of life can step back into that. And that's what happens. We start getting numb and we start going more and more for the experience. And we need to go more and more for the truth. Verse 20, but you did not learn Christ in that way. Indeed, if you heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, lay aside falsehood, speak truth with each, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Can I just say something that he just did right there? Before, all of the, 
All of Ephesians 4 up to that point was talking about our brothers and sisters in Christ, maintaining the bonds of unity in the body. We're one spirit, one body, one flesh. In that one sentence, he just widened the scope. Neighbor, for we are all one. That word neighbor, he doesn't say brother and sister. If he said brother and sister, we could reasonably conclude he's talking about fellow Christians. He says neighbor. The Greek word there literally means anybody that is not family. Anybody you come across is your neighbor. So he just widened the scope and he said, it's not just that we strive to maintain the bonds of peace in truth with our brothers and sisters. He says you do that with every neighbor because we are one. Be angry and do not sin. That's a whole sermon of itself. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment. I read that verse and I thought of Alyssa's message, the sacrifice the gift of sacrifice. I've grown in maturity, and if you ask me the number one sign of my maturity, and if you ask my mom the number one sign of my maturity, if you ask my wife the number one sign of my maturity, they will probably agree with me and say, I've learned to shut my mouth. I don't need to be a know-it-all. I don't need to be an um, actually. I don't need to be a mansplainer. Sorry, women. I've learned to shut my mouth. I've, I've learning, I should say. <laughs> to only let such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment. According to the need of the moment. So that it will give grace to all those that hear. Let no, unhealth, no, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for education, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed in the day of redemption. Him putting that there implies that doing the opposite of what he just said grieves the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's only two places where that term is used. The other one is rejecting the prophetic ministry. This is important. By the way, he's talking about prophetic ministry. Because the purpose of prophetic ministry is to edify the body. So he's literally talking about only speak what is necessary for the edification of the moment to give grace to people. And by not doing that, you grieve the spirit. It's the same thing. It's prophetic ministry. We all engage in the prophetic ministry when we encourage each other. Amen? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. He ties it all up. He ties it all back. The reason why we're even able to accomplish all of that is because, like Romans said, we joined with him in his death, and so we also joined in him with his resurrection, so we may walk in the newness of life. 
that we are able to put aside our old man. By implication, we're able to put him back on too. But also by implication, we're able to put him back off again. That we put aside our old man and we put on the new man. The new man that looks like Christ. That acts like Christ. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Oh, man, I hate that. Can I just say, we will, okay. We had a family movie night last night, and we watched Mulan. Mulan, Disney animated feature. Great movie. The kids loved it. They were, uh, there were so many times, they were transfixed. What's happening? What's going to happen? It got done as it goes, I love happy endings. And I'm sitting there in the corner, I do too. <laughs> that tender-hearted. Man, that's a scary prayer, but you should pray it. I cry at the drop of a hat now. It's ridiculous. Watch Mulan. There's a scene in Mulan where, because the whole point of the movie is she doesn't feel worthy. She's trying to prove her worth. She's trying to do everything she can to make those happy for her, to uphold the family honor. She doesn't feel worthy. She even says it in one of the emotional climaxes of the film where she goes, I wish that I could just look in the mirror and like who I see, see someone who's worthy, right? It's like, okay, well, that just tugs at the heartstrings right there because I just feel like that's the cry of the generations out there. I just want to look in the mirror and find someone who's worthy. And we get to go, God sees you as worthy. He sees you as so worthy, he sent his only son to die for you so that he could get you and he could show you who you are. But there's this scene where she's standing, she just saved the emperor and the emperor lists everything she does, and it seems negative, right? You destroyed my castle. You deceived the, the, the Chinese army. You dishonored your family, and you saved all of China. And then he bows to her. And then she turns around, and the whole crowd bows to her. And I'm just like, okay, all right, okay. Right, it's because there's that point, and there's that point we all have when we come before God, and He tells us, "You're worthy. You're worth it. That's why I did it for you." And you begin to realize who you are, and it's like that moment, that moment of realization, it just gets me so tender-hearted, <laughs> forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And we're gonna take communion at the end of the service. Um, <laughs> sorry, Jeff, I'll let you know. Um, so when I say I'm going to end here, we still have communion. But I want to end on this one verse, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant 
aroma. All of Ephesians 4 concluded in there, therefore, be imitators of Christ. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Amen? So at this time, we're going to take communion. Um, If you aren't a normal member of our church, please feel free to take communion with us. I'm reminded in the in the principle of being diligent in keeping the bonds of peace. There's also another principle that we must follow in communion. Paul says if you have a problem with a brother or sister in Christ, don't take communion, but go to them first and resolve it. That's being diligent and maintaining the bonds of peace. So I just want to give that biblical encouragement. If you know that there's an issue between you and a, and a brother or sister in Christ, no judgment, but maybe abstain and go to them and resolve it before you partake. Because communion isn't just... I, I don't go as far as the old Catholic doctrine of we're actually ingesting flesh and blood, but but it's more than just drinking water, drinking juice, and it's more than just eating a cracker. There's a spiritual reality that when we do this in remembrance of what Christ did, there's a spiritual reality that we are reminding ourselves and repartaking of the wholeness that he promised us through the breaking of his body and the forgiveness that he promised us through the shedding of his blood. So as we prepare to take this offering, Alyssa, could you actually come up here and play some music? As we prepare to take this offering, I just want us to remember in the spirit of today, the spirit of victory, the spirit of good overcoming evil, we remember what actually happened. We remember what we actually gained. Father, on this Easter day, we stand before you with gratitude and with joy for the sacrifice you made. And Jesus, we stand before you with gratitude and with joy 
for the sacrifice you made, but today we get to celebrate the victory you won. But we never want to let that victory overshadow the work that's continuing to happen. We never want that victory to be someplace that we just, it's done and I don't need to step into it. But we want to continually remember that now we must walk in a manner worthy of the call, in a manner worthy of those who have received newness of life, in a manner of humility, in a manner of peace and love. And so we thank you and remember when you took the bread and you broke it and you said, anytime we do this, we do it in remembrance of you. So right now, remembering the marks on your body that led to our wholeness, we partake of the bread. And Jesus, you took the, the cup and you said, anytime we drink of it, that we do it in remembrance of you. That you remember that we're bought with a price and we're made holy by your blood so in that remembrance we partake thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you we are so grateful we are so grateful and father I just pray that as we journey in this newness of life, as we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we never, ever forget our first love. And we never forget our responsibility to love the world as you did. In Jesus' name, amen. Merry Easter, everybody.